What's going on, everybody? And welcome to another episode of PJ Talks with Pastor James Ranger. My name is Robert, and I'm super pumped to be here today because today is a new week. I say that every time. You do. But it's it's a new week. Right. Actually, these come out on Fridays. Okay. So maybe I should not say a new week. It's the end of a week. But by the time but someone's... It's a new week. It, whatever. Sure it is. It's another episode. It's another week. Today, I really want to talk to you about something, and this comes from one of our viewers. They sent an email. Robert, how are you? How am I personally? Yeah. Great. I'm Man. full. I just had Wingstop. Did you? Yes. I love I, me some lemon had, pepper. I just had Mexican food. Fajitas? Mm. So I'm just saying, you know, it should be a, a wonderful afternoon. Is this another after and lunch podcast? It is. You know, Did it happen last time? It happened last time, and they said that that was one of our most fire podcasts. Well, this is going to be fire. This one is going to be fire. I'm going to right now. How do you I know? Just, I just feel it in my gut. In your gut? And you've already told me it's going to be. So, Robert, it's good to see you. Let's do this. <laughs> Great to see you, too. I'm creating atmosphere. atmosphere. So, you're a fan of country music. I am. Tim I McGraw. love... We have a bromance. You and Tim McGraw do have a bromance. But I love country music. It's kind of what I was... When I was growing up, I only had two options. I either listened to Christian music, which was Third Day, 12 Stones. And? If, no, it, it's not anything bad, but okay, right. I was very secluded. Got it. Then I remember the day we were coming back from the coast, uh, from San Luis Obispo to Bakersfield, and my town had just come out by Montgomery Gentry. Mm. And it has this piano intro into it, the ba 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 it's just beautiful sound. I was like, this is great. And I fell deep in love in country music. One of my favorite, later on, I actually f- found a broader scope, and now I love all types of music. Of and Adele. And- I mean, yeah, but I'm talking about some deep R&B. Okay, got like, it. I love all types of music. R- your favorite music is rap. I know that for sure. Just kidding. But anyway, back to what I was saying. One of my favorite country music singers is Reba McIntyre. I just, I've loved Reba since I was in sixth grade. Mm-hmm. And one of her songs is What Do You Say? Or I think that's the title of it. But the, the premise of the song is what do you say in a moment like that? Okay. When you can't find the words to just tell it how it is. Mm-hmm. And that's what I want to fixate on today. Okay. All about moments on what, what do, do you, you say? say? And the first one is really about being a pastor does not always mean that you've gone to seminary. Right. Being a pastor doesn't mean that you actually hold a title or you speak on Sunday, but being a pastor just means that you are showcasing God's love and directing someone into the pathway of being more in alignment with Jesus. Right. Right. How do you help someone to find God? Well, hmm. to begin with, you have to be close to an irreligious person to help them find God. Uh, that sounds odd, mm-hmm. but these folks that are watching us, uh, they know this to be true, that a lot of believers, and especially pastors, are so far removed from the irreligious, they have no relationship with the irreligious that they can't help them find God. But when I'm close enough, so by the way, I intentionally connect with the irreligious. I intentionally will spend time uh, fishing, which I love to do, as you guys know, but uh, a lot of my, my fishing buddies aren't churched people at all. Um, so you have to be intentional about this. But, but you're asking me, what do I do to help them find their way to God? 
Yeah, that's the that's the first question. I'll have a follow up to go deeper once, yeah. once we get the answer. But say you're close with somebody, mm-hmm. how do you even bring in the conversation? How do you steer the conversation? I never force into it. it. I never force it, and because Robert, what I've discovered is if if you allow out of relationship first, I build the relationship with them, get them to know that I'm not a freak, you know, I'm not a Bible thumper, and that I'm going to cram religion down their throat. They've got to want it. Jesus never forced anybody into following him. It was an invitation. So I wait until they're ready. And when they're ready, I just simply, uh, they're going through a a marriage issue. And I'll just say, hey, can I pray with you about that? Uh, I had this friend of mine up at the lake that uh, he's a bass fisherman and he's an older guy. And we built a relationship over four or five years. But one day he pulled up beside my boat and his boat and he said, hey, uh, by that time, he started calling me preacher. He said, hey, preacher, just found out I have, um, I have cancer. Mm. And, and I said, ah, oh, man, that's terrible. And uh, can I pray for you? And he said, yeah, yeah, actually, you can. And uh, he said, I'm going into surgery next week or the week after. Well, anyways, I said, I, I will. I'll pray for you, and God's going to be with you and all that. Like a month later... I'm out on the lake. He pulls up beside me in his boat, and he says, Oh, preacher, you won't believe it. He said, When I went into prayer, I, I'm into prayer. When I went into surgery, I felt your prayers. He said, I felt like this warm arms around me. They're about to put me out in order to put me in, you know, in, in for surgery. He said, I felt the warm arms of God around me. And he just, just like, unbelievable. I can't believe this. This is a crusty, like, sailor. Yes, he has salty language. Mm-hmm. And, but he, he, anyways, he switched like that, but it came out of a relationship and he invited me into that. And then I brought him God. By the way, he is now uh, home in heaven with God all because I built that relationship. And that is what it's all about. So now that we've established how to get someone to God through the relationship and mm-hmm. stuff, let's say you have a friend here at church and they're just hurting. How do you begin to steer the conversation back into focusing on that all things are possible with God. I have a question. It says, how do you help someone who is lost and hurting, but believes in Christ? Yeah. How do you help them? How do you help them? Everybody needs hope. Everybody needs hope. I often say that leaders are dispensers of hope. We are to the, your number one job as a leader is to always give people hope in the future because hope is about the future. So when somebody's broken, they can't see tomorrow. They can't see next week, next year. You're ju- First of all, you know, love them, care for them, all of that. Be a good listener. But when you get a chance to speak to them, whether it's to pray over them or to speak into their life, you want to give them hope that they can change, that God is with them, God is for them. Always bring them back to Scripture, you know, some kind of scripture that will breathe life into them. And uh, that, that's the, no matter how they're hurting, you got to give them hope. I like that answer because there, there's something about someone who may not be in the best situation, mm-hmm. but you can sense the hopefulness mm-hmm. or the excitement about whatever is to come tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, that is a really cool answer yeah. to that. With today's youth, yeah, um, we have a lot of different issues <clears throat> that 
you didn't have to experience, mm -hmm. that my parents didn't have to experience. Our youth is being faced with, or facing a lot of things that we have oh. never had to experience before. Agreed, 100%. Our youth uh, leader at the Northwest campus asked this question. How do you help a young person find and know their worth? Find and know their worth. Speaking to young people? Yes. Yeah. Uh, that's a good question. How do you help them find their worth? Part of that, it's not new, and I don't think it's a new answer. It's really an old answer. It's like 2,500 years old. You got to bring them back to that they are fearfully and wonderfully made by God. It's Psalms 139. Mm -hmm. And anytime somebody's feeling like they're not valuable to God, that he doesn't see them, uh, they're not feeling the worth as a human, I will, I will bring them back to their identity as the beloved. What does God see in you? And Psalms 139, when he says, you know, he sees you when you get up in the morning. He sees you when you go to bed at night. He sees you when you're, uh, you know, in the light, the dark, what you're going through. And, you know, if I, if I make my, my bed in hell, God's there. If I rise to the sky, he's there. God's everywhere with me at all times. He saw you when you were born, when you were, when you were uh, weaved in your mother's womb. And he knows the number of your days before you have even lived one of them. When you tell a young person that, that tells them how worthy they are. Now, do you quote the scripture when you do that, or do you just express that? Well, both. I mean, I would say, just like I did right there, when I'm saying it to you, you mm -hmm. can feel what I'm saying. I'm not quoting verbatim uh, Psalms uh, 139, but that is absolutely the essence of it. I don't, I'm not a real, I am... I'm all for quoting scripture to people, but I've seen so many believers and pastors that quote it to people like it's, I don't know, it just feels uber religious and it's rote. It's not really spirit. One of the, you know what I'm saying? 1,000%, yeah. and that's why I wanted to ask that is because we have grown up in an age, myself at least, mm -hmm. have grown up in an age where disasters are common. Mm -hmm. Sh school shootings common you know uh natural disasters hurricanes right. and tornadoes and fires prevalent all over the place right um terrorist attacks just i mean we are growing up in an age that is very difficult to live in and it can sometimes become numbing to the fact that it is so dangerous and a common thing that you saw on twitter this last year in 2017 mm -hmm. was will prayer even work mm-hmm because everybody says, oh, I'll pray for you or pray for Florida during the hurricane or pray for Texas during this, or, you know, all right. those different I'll pray posts. Mm -hmm. How do you explain to somebody that there is power <clears throat> in prayer, even in the worst situations like that? Yeah. Well, I have, a, I have like three answers in my head right now. Hit me. One is it really isn't any different now than it was 50 years ago. That's the first thought. Second thought is it's way different than it was 50 years ago. <laughs> I'll explain that. And then third is the power of prayer. How do you explain it? So first of all, if you think to the generation, excuse me, the decade that I first was on earth in, the 60s. I was born in 1960. If you look at the 1960s, um, Cold War is like blazing. We're talking about we're 
on the verge throughout the 60s of total nuclear annihilation of this planet, and that's a fact. Mm -hmm. These days, it's there, but it's not in front of our, it, it's kind of at bay. Mm -hmm. We're worried about North Korea, whatever. Anyways, but no, it's, it's pretty much, this, it's not the fear. I was the guy, the little kid grew up having to get under the desk and you had to do the crouch down thing. Because that's gonna help with the nuclear a bomb. nuclear, that was so <laughs> stupid, made us feel better, I guess. But what I'm saying is, so it's not any different than it was 50 years ago, but it's very different. Here's how it's very different. Okay. I don't have it, but the phone. That changed everything. Because 24 seven, these, these little kids, and I got grandkids, and they got cell phones, and they're 24-7 connected to what's happening in the world, but everything now is magnified. Mm -hmm. It's magnified, so therefore, it does feel internally, because it is magnified, it feels way, way, way worse, and these, these kids really can lose hope that it's ever gonna change, right? That's why I'm on, you know, a lot of people get negative about the church. I think we've never had a better opportunity Really, the, the darker the night, the brighter the stars shine, right? Yes. I, I wrote a song, you know, stars I, only shine at night. <laughs> but it's with that idea, well, the stars are shining right now, but you can't see them because the sun's out, right? Mm -hmm. Sun goes down, and all of a sudden the stars Are you quoting out. your song right now? <laughs> yes, I am. But here's what I'm saying, that when you tell people about prayer, now if it's just a religious glib thing, yeah, that's stupid. It is. It's just people, that's so old. But when you say to people, no, really, really, the moment you pray to the God of heaven in the name of Jesus Christ, God commands blessing. God commands blessing from heaven. We release angels on assignment through prayer. When you start telling them what scripture says about prayer, ask and you shall receive, seek and you will find, knock on the door, it will be open. And you don't just say it as a cliche, but you really believe in your gut. Man, people are hungry for that. They really are, because it, it's, like today I was, I, was uh, I texted somebody, they had a problem, and I all I said was, I'm praying for you now. Not like, I'm, I'm gonna pray for you. No, I'm praying for you now. That's the common thing though. I think that's what I'm fixated on right now is the fact that there is a, almost a negative connotation with the words, I'll pray for you. Yeah. It feels fake. Yeah. It feels like disingenuous. So then do what I do. And that is literally, and you'll see me before and after service, when I come down off the stage and someone's telling me something, I don't just say, hey, I'll pray for you later. I write them, we'll pray for them. Or if I'm walking through the crowd, you'll see me do this a lot. I'll be out in the family room. And often this happens. Somebody says, hey, pastor, this happens all the time, in fact. Pastor, would you, uh, hey, remember my Aunt Sally, you know, whatever. Uh, she's going through such and such, and they'll start walking off. I say, why are you leaving? Come here. Let's pray. <laughs> and sometimes I'll get them right down on the floor. We get on our knees right there. <laughs> We're praying now, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Because I really believe that. And I think that's what it is, uh, Robert. You've been raised in church. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the people who've been raised in church have this challenge. We become skeptical quicker because we've seen the fake and the yucky. Mm -hmm. But you take the people that have not been raised in church, the irreligious, once they discover Jesus and the power of prayer, it's like, are you kidding me? Really, God hears me when I just think my thoughts to him? Yeah, 
Oh, wow. You enlighten them and they believe it. It's that little childlike faith. And I think if you can just constantly bring people back to the promise of God and what prayer says, I mean, what prayer will do, that, that gives them hope. And, and again, stay away from the cliche, stay away from the, yeah, I'll pray for you, brother. Yeah, right. Actually do it. Do Deploy it. action. Then, now. I like that. In 2017, yeah. um, huge topic, and something that actually rattled our community personally mm-hmm. was suicide. Oh my gosh. Can you hit me with what is the church's obligation for someone who is facing the somebody who is contemplating suicide yeah again going back to the word hope why does somebody commit suicide we've walked through a lot of that at new life through the years and the story is usually the same usually the story is hopelessness they come to the end of the rope it's so dark they see, see this as the only way out hopelessness to me i'm not understanding mm-hmm. why it's hitting our youth like crazy tyler is 13. Mm-hmm. he is my best friend's son mm-hmm. i would do anything in the world for him All right and someone in his class at 13 committed suicide oh yeah yeah and i'm not understanding how we cannot be there in that moment yeah so how is something that we, what is something, I guess, that we can do to deploy action in against, to, to be against that? We've got to, Robert, we've got to change the culture from, you think of what's happened since 1962. Now, I'm going to sound very old, old school and like a dinosaur. Okay. But it's the truth. Study history. 1962, we took the Ten Commandments out of the school. We took prayer out of the school. If you study the numbers, this is not me bloviating, it's the facts. What changed when we took God away from the consciousness of our kids? I mean, even, I mean, the Christian God, yes, the Judean Christian God, yes. But the very, the idea that there is a deity that we're all accountable to, we will all give an account to someday, and, but there's hope through him, there's power through him, he loves you so much, he gave his son. When you take that away from the young hearts and the young minds, then lawlessness then is going to happen because I'm not accountable for my behavior, mm. right? Um, we, t- we take away the thought there is a God who loves me, that who's there with me all the time. A- and I, I, again, so this is a deep cultural issue. This, these roots go really, really deep. So we, we want to uh, make everything PC, Everything's PC, you know, all about everybody feels good and nobody's right or wrong and they're all always lead to God, so we won't even talk about God. Well, it's destroying the, the souls of our kids. I'm a little old school on that. It's Old Testament, New Testament. There, you have to raise up your children to fear God. Not the fear God's going to smack you, but the awe, the, the reverence, the like, oh, wow. That through the years helps you to keep coming back, you know, keeps your equilibrium right. And when kids are going through hormonal things at 12, 13, 14, you, you gotta teach them God loves you and you know, you're tempted by whatever it may be. God still loves you and you screwed up. God still loves you. That gives them hope. But if they ever lose hope, it's over. And that's why these kids are doing the stuff that, they don't believe in eternity because we stopped teaching that. 
You know, they don't believe there's, there's a day of accounting. We stop, we stop teaching that. We've stopped teaching about a God who loves them endlessly, unconditionally. So we can't go back. Right. So how do we move forward in combating that? Well, that's where the church comes in. The most powerful force on earth, earth is the church. And the message is simple. It's clear that we, that we are the hope of the world. The church is the hope of the world. Politics are, we know that. It's not going to fix this. Education's not going to fix this. More money and bigger houses and all that. We, we're, we, we've never been as wealthy as we are. What's going to fix it? The soul. The soul. The church can help change the souls of these kids and adults. And so that's why I'm, I'm so hopeful about the future of the, of the church. Because I think the church has never been needed more than it is right now. And if we can help these kids to just, I mean, make church exciting and fun. The music's got to be great. And because of, um, you know, uh, optics and the way things are, we got to keep it entertaining and fun and right. But to get them the message, because I can tell you, I've, I've talked to a lot of people off the ledge. I have through the years. And you, the way you talk them off the ledge from suicide is through giving them hope giving them hope in Jesus, that they're loved, they are the beloved of God. Yeah. We are dispensers of hope. Being a dispenser of hope, what does that look like in your everyday life? My everyday life? Mm-hmm. Well, look, I know you're a pastor. Mm-hmm. You can't change that. No. It is who you are. It is what you do. I'm a preacher. You are a preacher. It's in your blood. It is. Since 17. Got the Holy Ghost. But how do you, as just James Ranger, mm-hmm. take PJ out, put just JR in? Right. How are you a dispenser of hope daily? <clears throat> yeah, because I don't wear the preacher hat, as you know. I am one, but I'm James. At the end of the day, <laughs> I kind of like that better. Um, meaning that my neighbors around here, now they all know now that I'm <laughs> Pastor James. I mean, these guys right here, they've been to our church. But when I walk around the lake, I'm always saying hi. I make relationships. Um, I, I try to have an uplifting spirit when I see them and talk to them. When I meet people in the, the store, the gas station, or, you know, downtown, I'm taking Lydia on a hot date, you know, at the mark. It's... People confuse that, though, sometimes with being fake. Not you personally, but in the sense of, like, they hear, oh, I have to be a dispenser of hope. I have to do X, Y, and Z to showcase God's love. But man, that's tiring. Yeah, that's not me. No? Oh, no. I never get tired of that. I get tired of dealing with, I was going to say crap, but we can't say that on this podcast. So I didn't say it. Um, (laughs) I do. I get tired of the crap. The the crap sometimes. You do. You just, the stuff you got to do. But I don't ever get tired of bringing the love of Jesus, the life of Jesus, and real hope into people's lives. Because I've now seen it tens of thousands of times. You give people hope, they are transformed. Literally transformed. I mean, so the longer you do this, and the more you see, if you keep it real, keep it real, and keep bringing people back to Jesus and full of hope and life, and then you see the transformation of families and individuals and and communities 
yeah, it's kind of like the real deal. So you keep motivated to do that, you know. I like that. Yeah. You have five grandchildren. Five, right? Yeah. Yes. Other than the basic stuff, being healthy, loving God, knowing God loves them, what mm-hmm. is your biggest hope for them? Uh, by far the biggest hope is that they will, will experience Jesus. Not church, not religion, but will experience Jesus. Because if they experience Jesus as a child and really experience his love and his truth, uh, no matter how far they stray, they always come back. What is your biggest fear? My biggest fear by far is what's happening with this thing that we're doing right now, which is a wonderful tool. But when we, the internet opened up Pandora's box, we can't put the lid back on, but it's opened up a world that for my grandkids, it is, and I don't know if the word is fear, but I have great concerns for them. Because here's the thing, in, in let's call it 6,000 years of, of human history, we've only had two decades, three decades, with the internet like it is, and only the last 10 years when it went into overdrive. So we don't even have any idea what the fallout's going to be of 24-7, their heads going, and they can, you know, in a nanosecond, go to dark places that in a lifetime they should never go. But in my generation before, you know, <laughs> anyways, it is, it is a, a, I think that's a legitimate fear. We have, at, you, said, you nailed it right. We have such access right here mm-hmm. at our fingertips. And there is constant judging. There is constant comparison. And there is constant Every day. everything in yep. your brain. Yep. People can speak life and people can speak death. Right. All in the same moment. That's why this the devo- whole bullying thing has become the new buzzword. And it's true because of that. The stuff that happens to my granddaughter because she's, you know, she's 13 but looks like she's 18. But the horrible things that people will sometimes say, it's bullying. So how does a parent even begin to shield? Oh, gosh. Boy, I'm, I'm out of my league on that one. I will say when I was raising two sons, three sons with Kellen, but when I was raising sons, we were real honest, real honest, too honest for Lydia sometimes, but real honest about sexuality, real honest about temptation. Um, we normalized the human experience. And I think nowadays you're gonna have to do the same thing to some degree, you know, whether it's the conversation about sexuality or you just chased a squirrel, didn't you? That is so funny. I can hear it. I know. I keep, for everybody who always wonders <laughs> what's in my ears, I have uh, Robert, headphones Robert, in my, my little in-ears. Well, for two reasons. Side note, we're going to chase this rabbit. Two reasons. One, I see all the NBA, uh, NFL newscasters and stuff. They have their in-ears in because they're in a loud stadium and stuff. And I'm like... That's so cool. I want to be like them. So then you want to be cool. So I want to be cool. But then secondly, I like to hear what you guys are going to experience yeah. on the podcast or on the so film. So got to hear mud hands. Yeah. And so I got to make sure that <laughs> it's crisp, clean audio. So I yeah. think you're awesome. So Back I would say saying. 
normalize in this culture the question they're asking these questions they're thinking these thoughts so the parent has to open up the door for those conversations to be normal so you can't even, you can't hide from it you can't no. run away and say that you'll have another talk someday no i would also say you better start way earlier than i did with my sons because i see little kids six seven eight years old doing these iphones and without filters and parental controls and that kind of stuff and i'm like you better start having that conversation, not just sexuality, but just life in general. Um, eight, nine years old, like where my grandson's at, Deegan. Yeah, you better start now. I, I don't really know where to go from that. <laughs> We've had a couple of different subjects, but these were the main main things. Actually, last question. Okay. You said that there's never been a greater time for the church. Mm. What are you, as the lead pastor of New Life Church, doing to pioneer the fact that we are not losing this opportunity? Hmm. I think keeping it real about the issues, number one. Don't hide. Be honest. Talk honestly about the issues. But then realize, and we always have the solutions, because we have the eternal Word of God and that book has been tried and tested and true. And all the answers are there. I don't care how new technology and whatever we do happens. The Word of God will always provide the solutions. So what I'm doing is, is in this culture, training guys like you and others, get back to the Word. Go back to the Scriptures. The Scriptures are the answer. And, and the needs of our of our. Of our uh, new culture are basically fundamentally the same. They're just amplified and magnified, but they're basically the same. So the solutions are the same. Everybody wants to feel loved and valued and, and they have worth. And uh, Everybody wants to know God to a degree. They do. Everybody believes in it. Not everybody. Most people believe in an afterlife. Something. Yeah. So the, the scriptures bring you back to that. This is a good one. I enjoyed it. I like the fact that we touched on a couple things that I think will be deployed, not just in the church world, but I think that the being a dispenser of hope. Yeah. I believe that the being able to really see that there is light at the end of the tunnel right. type of conversations could be held in any genre that you are in. Absolutely. I really, is there anything else that you would want to touch on for this subject? No, other than just saying leaders are responsible. Leaders are responsible for vision. And nothing inspires like vision, a preferable future. And I feel it's up to us, and especially to those of you coming up after me, two generations back, it's your day. And if you can, if you can really grasp the power of a leader and his or her vision, and then... In other words, how is the future going to be better? How can your future be better? The power that you have as a, as a, as a pastor, as a leader, as a communicator is incalculable. It's incalculable because you get to shape the future by your vision. How powerful is that? So that's part of the whole part of the future, part of the vision. The, and that's the beauty of you, the leader. The leader gets to do the greatest job on earth. Think of that. One leader can change an entire culture. That's weight. Whew. Right? That is a lot of weight. It is. 
A lot of privilege. A lot of privilege, a lot of weight. A lot of weight. That's right. It's been fun. It has been fun. We are going to close it out now. Impact. I was going to skip that this week. No. I was going to skip it. Y'all don't need to hear about that. April 28th. Be there or be square. It's not important. It's everything. (laughs) No. Yes. You guys have heard it (laughs) many, many times, but this time, especially because we are only like two, three weeks away from this event. Impact 2018 is the leadership day that you guys guys don't know need to be at. That's right. We have a lineup that you guys can see online mm. at impactconference.life. But Pastor James, yes. where do they go if they want to send us a question, comment, or concern? You know. No, no, no. You know too. I do. It's what he tells you. It is podcast, the at sign, nlc.life. Got it. Podcast the at sign. Here's the, little, the leadership life. lesson. There is you don't have to know. You just have to have friends that know. We will see you guys back next week with another brand new episode. Excited about this. Episode, episode of PJ Talks. We appreciate right you guys coming and listening. Uh, we'll catch you next week. Right on. <laughs>